Hello there, friend. This is Jerry Tyson in The Beacon's Light. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. This message is proclaimed daily on the Watchman on the Wall podcast. You can listen to insightful interviews, current events from a biblical perspective, and prophecy that helps you make sense of the world around you as a podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow Watchman on the Wall on your favorite podcast platform. Watchman on the Wall daily podcast is available on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartMedia, and TuneIn. Watchman on the Wall daily podcast, another way to reach the world and proclaim that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Hello there, friend. This is Jerry Tyson in The Beacon's Light. Jody and I had the unforgettable experience of traveling to the Holy Land with Noah Hutchings some years ago. There is so much to see, so much to consider, and even more to comprehend when one sees the land that goes with the stories and the actual location where it took place. There are many accounts in Scripture that need little imagination. It's not hard to visualize the ark floating on the water. When Jesus met the disciples on the road to Emmaus, it takes no effort to see in the mind two people talking while they were walking along a dusty road when Jesus joined them. The battle between David and Goliath. Elijah confronting the prophets of Baal. Jesus feeding 5,000 men and even more women and children from just five little rolls of bread and two small fish are just three events related in Scripture that need a bit more ability to visualize. But thank the Lord for that Sunday school teacher who can paint word pictures and captivate a child to be there in the mind's eye, almost able to see every move, hear every word. In my thinking, there are very few things that can rival the events surrounding the capture, trial, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. To have been an eyewitness would have been an unbelievable experience, first from the standpoint of knowing Jesus personally as friend, teacher, and for some, believing that he was God. Secondly, it would be an unforgettable experience from the horror of much of that time, the scourging outright torture, the weakened condition of someone being crucified, then required to carry his own cross to the place of his death, the nails being hammered into his hands and feet, the impossible-to-imagine horror of the cross with the victim nailed to it being dropped, most likely a foot or more, into the hole that would hold it upright. Every joint in the body would be affected. The nail wounds, already unimaginably painful, now being ripped by the body weight, being fully supported by the nails. I didn't start out to paint such an ugly picture, but sometimes we need to see things that are unpleasant to appreciate what follows. 
All of the foregoing is to say this, Jesus suffered beyond anything any human has endured. I say that with no fear of contradiction because Satan was orchestrating every slash of the whip and scourge. He ensured that every splinter possible found its way into whatever flesh had not already been ripped. At every moment of the process, from the beginning to the end, it was his plan to make it as unbearable as possible. He thought that maybe, just maybe, he could win that day. He was truly the personification of evil on steroids that day. Again, imagination needs to be employed here. When Jesus was placed in the tomb, most likely on Wednesday, not Good Friday as it's called, three days started their countdown to Resurrection Sunday early morning. During that time, the darkness that hung in the air where the disciples were gathered must have been so thick it could be felt. This was the one who was going to redeem Israel. He was the one who would take man to God. He was, oh, he was so many things, but now he's dead and buried. This was the end of the line. It was over. Because of the customs of that day, his hasty burial did not allow for the body to be prepared the normal way. Luke's account tells that several women observed the location of the tomb and returned to prepare the spices for burial, but due to the restrictions of the Sabbath, they waited until the first day of the week, Sunday. We can't imagine the tears shed, the heavy sighs heaved, the disappointment among those followers and disciples as they shared stories of their experiences with the Master. Luke 24, 1 through 3, gives the account. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulchre, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre. And they entered in, and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. The next verse explains the over-obvious. They were much perplexed. <laughs> I guess so. Explanations were needed. We can assume the two men in shining garments who appeared were angels, and explain they did, starting with, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. That jogged their memories, and they realized that that was what he had taught them earlier. When they returned to the rest of the group and told what they had experienced, you can understand Luke 24:11, And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. People don't just come back to life and leave behind an empty grave and two men in shining clothing to explain. It would take a while for all of this to sink in. Matthew 28 gives additional information about Mary Magdalene and the other Mary who came to the grave before dawn, most likely to see what the chances were that they could have access to the body, then they would return with the spices. The Roman guards were still there to ensure that no one would steal the body, and then try to convince the people that Jesus was risen from the dead. The Roman authorities believed what Jesus said, but he said he'd arise the third day. 
Why did his disciples doubt? Bedlam ensued, as there was an earthquake, and an angel came to roll the stone from the mouth of the tomb. The guards were left as dead men from the shock of all of this. Imagine them telling their superiors what had happened. There was a sure possibility they faced being really dead men because they allowed a prisoner to escape on their watch. Meanwhile, the women may have seen all of this, and shock was surely their experience. Were they surprised? Their concern about being able to move the heavy stone was the last thing on their minds when they went back to tell all of the others what had happened. From John's account, we get the impression that Mary Magdalene stayed behind, weeping out her grief for the loss of the one who had meant so much to her, the one who had changed her life so radically. Little did she realize the one she thought to be the caretaker of the garden was actually Jesus himself. Not until he called her by name did she realize who he was. Later, the shock and the surprise of all came to an all-time high when Jesus appeared in the middle of the locked and secure room where they had gathered. The rejoicing that followed must have been beyond our ability to comprehend. All right, that's the past. Now, fast forward about 2,000 years, and a group from the four corners of the United States that included my wife and I were at the culmination of our tour of Israel at the Garden Tomb. It is interesting to note that the property that fully fits the description of what to expect a wealthy person in Jerusalem back then to own was overgrown and abandoned, with few, if any, aware of what was under the growth. A British group bought the property, and now, well over 100 years later, with all of the reverence of Bible believers, they maintain it not as a tourist attraction, but a sacred space where many believe the most important and notable miracle in history took place. There are other places believed to be the grave of Jesus, but given the circumstances, it's quite a stretch to accept any other location. At the far end of the Garden Tomb property is an overlook to the nearby hillside that has a clear view of what is left of an eroded rock face. Actually, a skull with the empty eye sockets and nose. Anything lower than that has been covered over and blacktopped by the owners of a bus station at the foot of the hill, the hill called Golgotha. Joseph of Arimathea was described as rich, and the garden property would indicate that, and in it he had a rock-hewn tomb for himself and his family. It was empty, but for the love he had for Jesus, he offered it for the need of the hour. Now there's a report that's been around that's never been confirmed for accuracy that Mrs. Joseph, when she heard what her husband had done, was quite upset and asked, what are we going to do when we need it? Supposedly, Joseph's answer was, don't worry, dear, it's only for the weekend. There on the property is a carved tomb with elevated platforms for a body to be laid. There is room for a few mourners to assemble. There is a huge round carved stone that could be rolled in the track that is there to cover the mouth of the grave. It 
is complete. It is also incredible to think it was hidden away for nearly two centuries, waiting for people who would treat the area with reverence to serve to reinforce the faith of Christians who would venture there. To walk into that tomb is not something easy to describe. There are thousands of historic sites in the world that people would describe with a sense of awe due to their significance. There is nothing like the garden tomb. Walk inside. Think for a moment. Consider what happened there. Realize that it was for you Jesus died and was buried in that very space. Try to comprehend what happened early that first day's morning when, as the song says, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose the victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 has these most superiorly triumphant words near the end. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the Beacon's Light is a production of Beacon Street Media. Feel free to contact us at www.swrc.com. This is Jerry Tyson reminding you that when we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sins.